You're listening to On the Road, Our Way, the archive of the podcast formerly known as Women on the Road from 2017 to 2020, hosted and produced by Laura Borshevsky and a production of Rabble Media. We're hoping you've heard by now, but the Women on the Road campout is happening and tickets are live. The second annual in-person outdoor weekend event for women and non-binary individuals interested in road travel will be happening October 4th through 6th near Moab, Utah. And we'd love to see you there in whatever vehicle works for you. Campers, trucks, cars, buses, tents, and more are all welcome. For more information and to register for the campout, head to womenontheroadpodcast.com slash campout. We truly can't wait to see you in person in just a few weeks and look forward to our paths crossing in Moab. Also, before we get to this episode, there's something we wanted to bring to your attention if it's not already on your radar. We talk about the topic of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, on this show quite a bit, because travel in itself is naturally full of privilege. The hashtag van life movement in particular, which Women on the Road covers alongside other forms of road travel. Last week, Naomi Grevenberg, who goes by Irie to Aurora on Instagram and someone we interviewed last winter, wrote a very honest, very compelling post online about the privilege of living on the road, which also led to her touching on the lack of representation within the hashtag van life community especially when it comes to visual imagery and the stories that are being uplifted most. I encourage you to go read her full post, but she ended it with these very pointed questions that I wanted to share as well. Why aren't we hearing more from the marginalized individuals in this community? Why is it only the privileged stories we read about on here? What are the privileged many doing to make this lifestyle safe and accessible for all members of our community? Naomi's post is honestly something we're excited about and plan to continue making space for in a bigger way as this conversation evolves and gains momentum within the road travel community at large. For our team specifically, it's also been a time to reflect and take stock. And while Women on the Road aims to serve a diversity of people who travel by cultivating an inclusive community and delivering thoughtful content, we're always learning how to do better. The truth is that this podcast came out of my own personal privilege as a host to save up money and travel for a year in a nice van I converted with a former partner, which there's nothing inherently wrong with, but it does mean that we have had, and still have, a lot of room to grow when it comes to helping make road travel feel accessible to anyone who wants to try it. Because regardless of the vehicle you take out on the road, the reality is that the travel images we see online, and often how those images send a message to us about who is out there traveling and who isn't, well, it's just not accurate. And we want to engage you as members of our community to continue creating a supportive network online that truly reflects the diverse group of individuals who are already out there on the road, so that even more people feel welcome, safe, and included in getting out there too. With that said, firstly, we encourage you to not only go read Naomi's post online, but to also dig into the comments. You'll find a whole bunch of other incredible folks you might not know about yet who have engaged in the conversation, as well as other members of our community you may recognize. You can find her at Irie to Aurora, and her post was published on September 4th. Since this post went live, Naomi has teamed up with Jamie Serbell of Nomad Home, someone else we've interviewed on the show a couple of times, to create an allyship guide for the road travel community. It's still in the works, but as soon as we know more, we'll be sharing about their work across our channels so you can learn alongside us. Or you can just go follow them and hear about it all firsthand. Also, remember that we get to curate our own world online, for better or worse, So if you want a wider range of people who are traveling reflected in the images you see, try following other people of color and the people they follow, or look up hashtags you might not have before, like hashtag brown van life, hashtag black van life, hashtag fake van life, and hashtag diversify van life. We'll also be posting a handful of links in our show notes for this episode with more resources you can look to if you'd like to learn about and support DEI efforts within the road travel community specifically. Lastly, for now, 
is that we're always looking for more road travel stories that we can feature on this podcast as well as social media. If you know someone whose story or perspective would be particularly valuable or insightful, please reach out anytime through our direct messages or by emailing me at laura at she-explorers.com. That's all on this topic for the moment, but there's so much more work to be done in the road travel space, so this is not the last time you'll be hearing from us and those we feature on this topic. In the meantime, thank you all for tuning in to support and be actively involved in this important and continually evolving conversation. Now, let's get to the show. This episode of Women on the Road is brought to you by Merrill. Merrill believes there isn't just one way to get where we're going. And as travelers who are drawn to new destinations by the outdoor journeys that await, that's something we can completely relate to, especially when it comes to seeking out new trails. Merrill's goal is to provide thoughtfully designed, rigorously tested products that over-deliver on performance, versatility, and durability. So you'll be prepared for whatever trail the road takes you to. Stay tuned for later in the episode. We'll hear from Women Who Hike founder and Maryland ambassador Nicole Brown as she shares the one national monument she keeps traveling back to and what makes it so important. Visit Merrill.com. That's M-E-R-R-E-L-L dot com. This episode of Women on the Road is also brought to you by Deuter, who have been making technical hiking, backpacking, snow sport, bike, and travel packs German-engineered since 1898 for comfort, fit, and ventilation. They're also a leader of sustainability in the outdoor industry because they build their packs to cover miles, not landfills. Stay tuned for later in this episode. I'll share more about the Deuter promise to repair any Deuter pack free of charge. Learn more by heading to Deuter.com. That makes it worth it every time. Like I will make myself have claustrophobia issues and be frustrated and cry under my rig if it means that other women are gonna feel like they could potentially be curious about fixing their stuff and they just, you know, pick up that wrench and give it a try. I'm Laura Hughes, and you're listening to Women on the Road, a podcast to bring you closer to some of the honest experiences that life on the road has to offer from the perspective of women who've lived them firsthand. It won't take long for you to realize that Jessie likes to do things on her own terms. That's why when she was ready to adopt a more mobile lifestyle in October of 2017, she found a vintage 1978 Commander motorhome and moved her and her two cats right in, which kicked off an adventure on the road for sure, but also an adventure in learning how to work on the 24-foot-long camper she just purchased. Since moving into her RV, Jessie's been a growing voice for taking charge of your own direction, especially when having an older vehicle means that sometimes things break down, and in order to get yourself back out there, you have to learn to do things yourself. We started off our conversation with me asking if Jessie had worked her way up to a motorhome of that size or if it was her very first camper selection. No, I just completely jumped in blind. <laughs> I'd never even traveled in an RV, so I just went all in on my rig and hoped that I made the right choice. <laughs> I haven't heard of too many people, especially solo travelers, jumping into such a large RV. So, yeah, what made you choose such a large rig over anything else? Well, it was all about the kitties and their comfort. So I have two cats, and my older cat, Atreyu, is very particular about personal space. And he was even like this when I lived in a regular sticks and bricks. Like, he doesn't like it when people walk too close to him. I have a younger cat, and he needs to be able to, like, get away from her. And then my younger cat, she has a ton of energy, so I knew that she needed room to run back and forth and get some of that squirrely energy out. And so I wanted to make sure that I was getting something that could accommodate both of their personalities because if they're happy, then I would be happy. 
There are other folks I've heard of who are traveling and get larger RVs because of their cats. So now that you mentioned that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that was the whole thing about when I would take vacations before and stuff like that was why I'd always be anxious to go home is because I missed my pets. And so I knew that like a big part of this lifestyle that was going to bode really well for me is that I could have them with. So they were a huge factor in being able to make full time travel exactly what I wanted. What were you doing before you hit the road full time and what made you want to make that transition? Uh, well, I delivered pizzas for 14 years. I mean, and then I was an independent contractor for a natural and organic brand. So I started to get more freedom in my life as far as my work schedule. And honestly, for quite a while, I was kind of a comfort zone liver. You know, like I would take vacations and I would do, I don't know, different hobbies and different events that I liked, but I was starting to get a little bit of an existential crisis maybe where I was like okay wait a second like this is my life what am I doing with it I'm not married I don't have kids not that that was a major goal of mine but it meant that I was free to do whatever I wanted I didn't have much restrictions I never went to college so I didn't have any debt and when I realized that I had the ability to like make a huge life change if I wanted to that's when I started thinking about well what is it that I really value in my life and what do I want more of and how do I want to shape my life to look exactly the way that I want it to? And that's when, before Jessie had an RV, she decided to do something simple. She got in her car. You know, I took a, a solo trip to Colorado, and it was the first trip I'd ever taken completely by myself, and I was the happiest I'd ever been. Every day I just hiked, and I did exactly what I wanted, and I was like, oh my gosh, this, like, I want more of this. And I'd already been on the road to really downsizing and getting rid of stuff and wanting to have less things that are higher quality and not drowning in possessions as much. So it all just culminated into the perfect storm of living tinier and then realizing travel was a huge factor and nature was a huge factor. And I thought about a tiny house and then I thought, no, that's maybe not mobile enough. And then I thought, well, maybe I should get something that I can roll around in. And then it ended up being the motorhome. <laughs> And it sounds like the motorhome, too. I mean, now that I'm hearing your story, I think when a lot of people see you online, at least I'll speak for myself, when I see you online, you're usually working on your motorhome in some way, it seems like. And so I think in my mind, I just thought that that's something that I don't know that you'd always been doing. In my mind, I was like expecting you to have like this huge background in mechanics. And I don't know if you do or not. So I'm curious to hear about that. When I was 18, I worked at Jiffy Lube, which is like a quick oil change place. And I drove like a bunch of junky cars before I finally bought a new one when I was in my 20s. Like I've always had an interest in mechanical stuff to the degree of like curiosity where I was like, oh, how does that work? And also maybe being really strong willed and not wanting like people to tell me what to do. And so I typically like go to do things that empower me so I can't be taken advantage of and so I think there was just like a general interest and then also never really having like a ton of money so I've always had to fix my own stuff just because that's what I could afford to do but yeah I mean other than working at Jiffy Lube and hanging out with a bunch of dudes that looked at car magazines all the time I'd, <laughs> and, and then like driving a bunch of junker cars other than that I didn't have any like formal training or anything but I've always had curiosity I guess. When you bought your motorhome, were you well aware that you were going to need to work on it regularly? You know, 
when I bought my motorhome, I wasn't well aware of anything. <laughs> I mean, I think I was just going full on from the heart and I was completely trusting in that. And it was terrifying, but you know, I've never felt such a strong pull towards something before. And I am just going to follow it and hope that it's all the right things and trust that I'm going to be capable to handle whatever ends up coming my way. And so I wasn't naive to the point that it was an old rig and was probably going to need work. But because I had driven older cars so much, I knew that older vehicles are easier to work on and that parts are cheaper. So I felt a lot more comfortable with something older just because I knew I could get my hands in there and I could do it myself. I didn't really want to have something that I had to rely on other people to fix all the time. Anytime you buy something used, you get something and you hope for the best. And then, you know, it ends up being whatever it is. Yeah. And I didn't really realize what you just said that older vehicles, I mean, I'm sure that there are like older rare vehicles where parts are harder to come upon, but just the older vehicles in general can be easier to work on. So that's, that's interesting to me. Yeah, they don't have as many computer pieces and everything is just way more spacious. And so they're just more mechanical components. It's just a lot more black and white. I mean, the downfall about older vehicles is that bolts don't really want to turn that well <laughs> when they've been in the same spot for 40 years, you know. But, you know, like I replaced my starter and that was only $42 and starters are just not that cheap anymore for newer vehicles. Has there been a time when you've really been stumped and needed to get other help from folks in terms of fixing your vehicle? Yeah. So when I had to pull the radiator out and I was doing the radiator and then I was like, well, I'm doing this. I should probably do the rest of the coolant system. And so it just makes sense to also replace the thermostat. And there's two bolts. It's relatively simple. And I've learned that like whenever it's like a, just a two bolt situation, it always ends up being like, such a dramatic event. <laughs> but I was trying to get these bolts out and they I got one to turn and the other one was just so stuck and I had saturated it with penetrating oil and it wasn't able to move and I called like the one person that I knew in the state that I was in and I was like, "Can you just like put your arm on this and see if maybe I'm just like too weak?" And he brought his breaker bar over and that's when I learned you do not put breaker bars on bolts that are attached to like your engine <laughs> so he uh broke the bolt off and then once the bolts got broke that means that you have to drill it out and drilling out broken bolts is really really difficult like it's definitely a learned process to be able to do it well and typically you have to helicoil it afterwards which means when you drill it sometimes you destroy the threads and then you need to put new threads in it and this was an area where it was going to be really hot and it was going to be high pressure so it needed to be done right and I went to several local mechanics and they all said they wouldn't help me and then one guy I could tell he was like a little bit on the fence and I just would like not take no for an answer I'm like please you don't understand I'm like in such a situation I just really don't want to mess this up and he came and drilled it out for a hundred bucks. And by the end of the day, he said he would hire me at his shop if uh, I ever wanted a job because I did better work than most of his mechanics. <laughs> I mean, I don't like working on mechanical stuff. It's not something that I like really enjoy doing. So I'm going to take a hard path on that job, but it was nice to hear that. Yeah. Well, and super empowering for yourself too, since you've learned by just doing. Yeah, absolutely. 
is there anything in particular that you feel like you've learned as a result of going through the process of working on your vehicle so much? And I know obviously you've learned a ton about mechanics, but have you learned anything about yourself? Oh gosh, yeah. So I am by nature, and I feel like I also encountered this doing my remodel restoration thing on the inside as far as like the living space. I am a very impatient person. And I think just learning patience across the board has been key to this lifestyle and probably one of the biggest lessons that I've been learning since being on the road is that I just need to have patience. But also, like when it comes to working on the mechanics of my rig, so I'm impatient and I also have like claustrophobia issues. And when I'm doing mechanical work, I'm facing both of those things, my worst uncomfortable things about myself. And to be able to put myself in a position where I know I'm going to be uncomfortable and it sucks and do it anyway and then the amount of pride that I feel afterwards is really amazing and it it makes it worth it and then I also didn't realize that by doing that I was going to affect other women which has just been like the icing on the cake like that makes it worth it every time like I will make myself have claustrophobia issues (laughs) and be frustrated and cry under my rig if it means that other women are going to feel like they could potentially be curious about fixing their stuff and they just, you know, pick up that wrench and give it a try. Like that honestly makes my life mean something, you know, like I feel like I can die happy. That was the biggest surprise to me. I didn't realize that that would be part of it. It has that huge ripple effect for sure, because people see you doing that and they're like, oh, I could see myself doing that because I've seen Jessie doing it and she's teaching herself and learning as she goes. So I'm smart and capable. I could do that, too. Yeah, like I didn't realize there was still such a need to just like have that visual representation of women wrenching on things. I guess when I think about it, obviously, you know, I guess I just never really thought about it. And then once I started getting messages from people being like, hey, because I saw you do this, I realized, oh, I could maybe do that. And just that tiny little spark, you know, of somebody just seeing somebody else do something creates that empowerment in them. It's such an easy thing. Well, I mean, (laughs) it's not really easy, but a photograph is an easy thing. And it goes a long way. Well, and that brings me to the other aspect of owning the motorhome that you own, which is just driving it because Mander's gigantic and (laughs) uh, a lot of people... She photographs big. She's only 24 feet. (laughs) So you say that and I feel like there's so many people who are like, that's big. (laughs) She's not super small, that's for sure, but she's not as big as she looks in photos. I'll say that. That's fair. I'll, I'll, we can land there. But I guess I'm curious to know, since you did just dive into getting the motorhome in general and you know moving forward with your living on the road full time, had you ever driven a vehicle that big before? And was there a learning curve for you with learning how to drive Mander? I had not driven a vehicle this big before. And I had done a lot of looking and I'd gotten in a couple other RVs and they all felt incredibly overwhelming. And there was something about Mander that I felt pretty comfortable with almost immediately. I don't know if it's because, like, I sit over her front wheel and, like, she doesn't really have a nose. So I can just see very clearly where I'm going. And also because the wheelbase is maybe, like, smaller. She's got a big old booty that hangs past, like, her back wheels that I have to watch, you know. But I don't know. She feels pretty agile. So 
I, there really wasn't like a huge learning curve in that department. I think where it becomes like scary and stressful for me is just getting thrown around on the highway. Like when semis pass me, the wind is really tough, but it's like, I'm just cruising down the road by myself. It's no big deal, but it's also stressful when I'm boondocking and I'm getting into some places and I'm going over like ruts in the road and all my stuff's clanking around. And I know she's old. So I'm like, I got, I hope a wall doesn't just like fall down. <laughs> so, like, there are definitely stressors within driving her, but you know, if I was just on the road by myself with no factors, I think I'm not intimidated by her size overall. That's awesome to hear. I mean, it's interesting because when I look at Mander, I'm like, Mander's gigantic, obviously. But I also have spent a good deal of time driving high roof cargo vans and some of the same principles apply, like the wind really catches those vans too, just because they're tall. And so that's something you have to be aware of. And even though they are smaller than a motorhome, in a lot of cases, people still treat them the same on the road because no one really wants to be stuck behind a large camper van. And so, I mean, I don't mind now, but I have more empathy now than I did before. (laughs) And yeah, so, I used to totally yeah. be road ragey because I was like, just get out of my way. And now I'm the one that's like the pain in the butt on the road. And I'm just like, sorry, go road. <laughs> yeah, well, you even created those bumper stickers that say thank you for your patience. I think that's brilliant. I needed them desperately. <laughs> I couldn't believe they hadn't been created. So I was like, all right, if this product doesn't exist, I need to create it. Because if I got to go uphill, I got to drop it into second gear. And I'm topping out at like 30, 40 miles an hour. So It gets stressful when like a long line of cars are stuck behind you. The interesting thing about that, though, is at least everybody knows clearly on the road when they see your vehicle, they're like, okay, if this vehicle is changing lanes, like I'm going to see it coming, like I'm going to get out of its way. And if this vehicle is going uphill, I'm probably going to need to take matters into my own hands if I don't want to be behind it. So it's like everyone knows when they see your vehicle, they're like, okay, this is a large motor home, so it's going to do what it does and I need to navigate around it. That's what I always try to remind myself anyway. Yeah, it just is up to how like upset they are about it, basically, which is where with the bumper sticker, I try to just calm anybody's potential anger (laughs) at having to like navigate around me by saying thank you for your patience. (laughs) I think every vehicle should have one of those, to be honest. Everyone's got their moments where they need someone to be patient with them on the road. (laughs) That's true. And I have had a handful of people just buy it for their regular car. So it's universally good to just extend some courtesy on the road. We'll be back to hear more from Jesse after this. Merrill exists to give you all you need to discover the simple yet profound power of the trail. Nicole Brown, founder of Women Who Hike, has been drawn to Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument in southern Utah for years. The trails brought her out there, but she's found even more that keeps bringing her back. My first time in Escalante was actually right after the review period was announced and I'd had always wanted to go there. But this like gave me that push of like, okay, what's out here and why is this place so important and why do people have such different interests in it? And I was completely blown away. And even though I've been there like seven times now, like I haven't even scratched the surface of everything that there is to see and do and explore and also to learn 
more about the land, the people, the geology, the history, and with all of those things, it adds to why this place needs to be protected. The new hydro hiker is awesome. It's called the Chop Rock. I just recently had those in Utah. And I'm also really excited about the new Ontario 85, which is a recreate of a vintage shoe that I've been wearing, but now it's packed full of all the technology and performance that I would want in a hiker. Stay tuned for more stories with Merrill this summer. And to learn more in the meantime, visit Merrill.com. That's M-E-R-R-E-L-L.com. Deuter's been making technical hiking, backpacking, snow sport, bike, and travel packs German-engineered since 1898 for comfort, fit, and ventilation. And because they build their packs to cover miles, not landfills, they promise to repair any Deuter pack free of charge, no matter how old it is or the reason for damage or defect. If you're listening to this, odds are that you're a traveler and you like to spend your time outside, so you get how special your pack is to you. It's like a piece of home you take with you, no matter where your adventures lead. I recently packed my Deuter travel and backpacking bags for a trip to the Eastern Sierras in California, and I'm confident I'll be able to use them for years to come thanks to the Deuter promise. Each pack comes with a warranty, which promises that if it's possible, Deuter will repair your pack free of charge, and if it's not possible, They'll replace it with a comparable pack to get you back out there as soon as possible. Deuter believes in collective action to reduce our cumulative environmental impact. And more repairs means a longer life for your pack and less waste for our world. Learn more by heading to Deuter.com. That's D-E-U-T-E-R.com. You know, I'm the type of person that just dives into things blindly. And I like to learn the hard way, honestly. We're back with Jesse. And one thing I wanted to make sure to ask her about is the guide she recently created for beginner road travelers. It started because of all the questions Jesse receives online, often with some similar themes. And even though, yes, Jesse likes to learn the hard way, she knows this approach isn't best for everyone and that sharing her knowledge and research could be really helpful. I realize that not everybody is that way. Like there's a lot of people that are more methodical about making changes and are more apt to want to like research things to gain the confidence to pull the trigger on like a big life change. And so creating this guide, I'm hoping will help people that are on the verge of wanting to do it, but they're like, oh, but I'm just so unsure about this. And I really don't know. And I know it can get really exhausting and tedious to just be Googling things all the time and not knowing, you know, where these resources are coming from and if they're valid or not. So I did all the Googling. (laughs) I mean, I have the the on-the-road experience, and then I also talked to a lot of other nomadic people and asked, you know, what worked for them and got their feedback and then also did the the behind-the-computer research and then compiled all the information that I found in one guide. And it starts from choosing your rig to transitioning from the sticks and bricks to getting ready to live tiny and mobile and then goes over all the frequently asked questions like, how do you get water? Where do you park? you know, how do you deal with your mail? How do you make money? All that stuff. And then I have like a section also about traveling with pets because I get a lot of questions about heat and like, what do you do in, you know, dealing with heat and just the little tips and tricks that I've learned on how to make it work and keep your pets comfortable as you're traveling. I'm curious to hear a little bit more about your travels as a solo female. And I know that This is a common topic, I feel like, but especially someone who's working on your own vehicle a lot, do you experience a lot of sexism or biased views on the road, especially as a female who is working on your own rig? I would say on the internet, yes. In real life, if it's happening, they're a little bit 
mum about it. <laughs> Probably because they're talking to me and they realize if they said anything, I'd be like, excuse me. <laughs> you know, on the internet, of course, people are more apt to say things because they're hiding behind their screen and they're not as responsible for the things that they say. So I feel like I do experience it as far as men thinking I need more guidance or like, you know, it's really frustrating. I'll post a picture saying, oh, I changed my fuel pump. It's done. You know, like it's a done thing. I've done it. And then like a bunch of dudes weigh in about what I should have done differently and that I should have, you know, changed it away from a mechanical fuel pump. And I'm not asking for your opinion. (laughs) You know, the thing is already done. Either celebrate it with me or shut up. Like I just, I don't need to hear all of this armchair mechanic stuff. And I think also maybe some of it, and, and I try to tell myself that a lot of it is maybe just the trade in trade type situations. People like to give their opinions. And there are times where I'm like, okay, it's just that they would do that if it was a guy too. But it's like, if a guy is like, honey, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, oh, no, that's demeaning. That's when I get frustrated. And so I, I mean, I realize that everybody's learning, you know, and I try to do the best that I can with men that are clearly new to seeing women doing these things and and try to use it as an opportunity to teach them, you know, why what they said wasn't okay. But sometimes after stomaching certain comments for a while, some poor person just gets (laughs) the unleashed sassy version of that. (laughs) where I'm just like, put them in their place because I, I have heard enough. But I think in real life, people are more curious and they aren't saying too many sexist things to me. And I met this mechanic, I broke down in Utah, well, like a million times. I was stuck in Utah for like four or five months, fixing one repair after another. And I had never done drum breaks before. So I went to the one place that agreed to help me and it was a diesel repair shop. And Mander's not a diesel. So he was already being nice enough to help me out in the first place. And he was this small town guy who I think he's in his 60s and it was his dad's shop and then he inherited his dad's shop and he just lived there you you know his whole life and he got married had kids and very conservative in a lot of ways and he respected me so much like he let me look over his shoulder the entire time we did the break work and let me ask a million questions and you know, where he could have been really close-minded because he told me, he's like, I've never met a woman like you before. He was actually really, really open. And we ended up becoming super connected to each other. And I still talk to him. He doesn't have a cell phone (laughs) or the internet or anything. So like, we still just have phone calls with each other and ask each other how we're doing. And when I left Utah, I stopped by and saw him again. And he just became a really great human connection for me. And so I think a lot of Time, I'm really pleasantly surprised about the willingness that men have to embrace women doing things that they're not used to seeing. It's just the internet. That's just where <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> I mean, I love hearing that story because I think you're right. And it does illustrate that point really well that in person, a lot of people aren't going to say the things that they do say over the internet. And it's further interesting that, yeah, online. And I don't know if it's a, an issue of the trade that it is, you know, with mechanics and construction, you could do things a variety of ways. So is it consulting or is it veiled sexism? Like, it's hard to say. 
It's especially hard on the internet too, because you don't hear people's tone. If you're having a one-on-one conversation with them, you can gauge it better and understand where they might be coming from. But on the internet, that stuff is hard to understand. And so you don't know. But I also have been very lucky to meet men that are way more educated when it comes to mechanics. I mean, that's how I've gotten through all of my mechanical endeavors is by talking on the phone to these men that treat me as an equal and have full confidence that I can do what I can do and talk me through it, you know, and they're like, okay, well, you can do this. This is, this is what you need to do. Just like start taking that part off. It's a doable job. And having somebody not talk down to me and empower me instead, I'm grateful for that because I think that stops a lot of women from maybe wanting to try things. If, if they ask a man in their life to teach them and then the man just like belittles them the entire time, they're not going to really want to learn past that, I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, with any mentor relationship, it's like if someone were like, it's not that hard or yeah, you totally are doing this wrong. <laughs> it's not going to be good. And then when you do throw in the gender power dynamic too, where most women, especially like growing up in our generation, just didn't receive free help or opportunities to learn about certain aspects of vehicle maintenance or just some practical labor-based skills. And I think more and more women are getting access to that as they grow up, it seems. But just that simple recognition goes a long way. And I've definitely also seen very similar comments online, even just with basic van conversions. As I was converting my own van last summer, I received a lot of comments that were completely unsolicited and have heard the same from other women who work on their own vehicles, that that comes up a lot. And I do appreciate the perspective that you shared of like, yeah, maybe it is just a trade, maybe this conversation would also happen if I was a guy. <laughs> like, we don't know. Intention is very hard to read. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, it can wear on you, too, when it's, it's so oversaturated. Totally. And I have said that to somebody. Somebody commented something, and I was like, would you have said this to a guy? And he actually ended up backing down. He was like, I'm sorry, I didn't realize my language was dismissive or whatever. And so it was. it turned into a really, you know, nice teaching moment. But I think that is the key is like, you know, if men are questioning about, oh, am I being sexist right now? They should ask themselves, if this was a dude, would I feel compelled to weigh in? Would I want to give my advice? Would I want to tell this person what they did wrong or what they should do differently? I think that's the key as we're all learning and growing and changing is that not only do we as women need to be empowering ourselves and teaching and and, and breaking gender norms, we also need to be patient with men as they are also learning and growing and changing and being flexible with gender norms too. Yeah, and giving people an opportunity to learn. So even though it's frustrating, maybe taking a second if you're triggered by something that somebody writes and think, okay, is this a good opportunity to maybe not necessarily like educate that one person, but anyone else who sees, especially online, you have an opportunity to say, hey, like, I want to model a conversation of like, why this comment bothers me and and just be really clear about it and say like is this something that you would say to anybody or did you say it this way because you think certain things about me and I feel like it is very eye-opening for for somebody reading it has to be yeah it is I mean and it's also like I think those are all like best case scenarios you know but then also as you're going through life and you just get that same sort of feedback all the time it's hard not to lose it (laughs) sometimes be like, oh, I'm sick of this. 
Yeah, well, and I feel like, too, that's where I've actually talked myself online about how I'm not a huge fan of the Instagram versus reality type stuff. But I actually really like yours because I think that they're very down to earth and I appreciate your juxtaposition, especially where, you know, van life as a movement has a lot of hype and beautiful imagery. I really like that you share both or all sides of what's actually going on. So when did you start doing that and why? I think maybe the realization that it was needed maybe came to me when I was having that four months of breaking down and realizing that people were unfollowing me because of it. And I was like, whoa, because I think a lot of people don't share, like if their vehicle is breaking down for four months or they're just really, really struggling emotionally or they're like going through something, they'll either just like put it in a story that disappears or they just like go offline. And I get it does suck to be a negative Nelly, but I also don't want to feed this romanticized view, like the whole like false reality thing. It's like, no you don't make this major life change and then all of a sudden everything is good for the rest of your life and you don't have any struggles and stuff doesn't become hard. I think that's the problem with social media is that, you know, the effect that it has on us is that we start comparing ourselves to these things that are just not possible. Initially, I started Instagram to have this as like a photo journal for myself. I'm not going to have this huge gap in my photo journal because people were going to not want to see me sleeping on the floor of a vacant house because my rig was in the shop or they're not going to want to see me covered in grease for three days pulling my radiator like I've always been very blatantly honest to a fault sometimes (laughs) but I think it's just really important because so not only were I was I seeing people unfollowing me but I was also seeing people saying like thank you so much for sharing the whole story the people that really want this want the whole story they want to know what the downs are like just as much as what the ups are like because you can't go into something completely banking on this Instagram perfect life because when reality hits you you're gonna want to throw in the towel you know you're like oh crap this is like way harder why didn't anybody tell me about this (laughs) and I also think it's humorous like I think it's funny that I could post a picture out one window and be like, oh, you know, this beautiful view out my window. And then I post a picture of it out the other window. And it's like, I'm in a parking lot next to like a helicopter landing pad. That's what some of your days are like when you live this lifestyle. I think that for people to keep a realistic view on not only like what it will be like to live this life, but also as far as like comparing themselves to other people, I think it's super important. And I also feel like that exact example that you just shared of like out one window, it's this beautiful view and not this other window. It's like, who knows what? Like, I don't know. There's something about road travel that highlights a lot of the things that people feel about any lifestyle that they have where like, yeah, you take the good with the bad always. So hopefully there's some aspect of your life that's lighting you up and is really cool. And it is that vista, you know, that you love and something that you're excited about. And yeah, there's always something, you know, at the same time that's existing that's like not great or kind of ugly, and you know, or maybe something you want to fix. And it's like, that's life. And it's interesting to see it shared in such a visual way through the online aspect of road travel because I think everyone can relate to it even if they're not on the road and that's why people are drawn to that honesty like everyone's got that yeah it's like a release to be like oh okay that person's life is not perfect either I don't have to reach this 
impossible standard because nobody's life is like that. Like you said, you take the highs with the lows. There's, I mean, there's just no way to live where there's not going to be some unpretty parts. To end our call, Jessie had some final thoughts on how solo travels impacted her life and how, surprisingly, it hasn't been at all about being out there on her own. The one thing that I would say about this lifestyle that was like completely unexpected for me and when I decided that I wanted to do this travel full time and I really thought that it was going to be a complete journey of solitude and I'm super introverted so I was actually looking forward to it and excited about it and thinking like oh this will be like an opportunity for a lot of self-reflection and growth and you know I'm going to be on my own just me against the world and it couldn't have been more opposite as soon as I left it just became a story of connectedness and human kindness and people uplifting me and seeing like a community of people that are just sharing um I don't know this like connectedness of of wanting other people to succeed and I hadn't really experienced that before in my life and I've met more people that are like-minded than ever before and I think it's really amazing that you know you never really know <laughs> what's in store for you so I, I also think it's important that like if people want to live this lifestyle to not get too pigeonholed into what you think this life is going to be like for you because I think jumping into something that's more extreme like this is opening up the door for the universe to hand you what you need whether that be a major lesson in patience which has also been for me or like feeling human connectedness or maybe your journey would be about solitude and would be about being on your own and, and dealing with loneliness and figuring out why you feel lonely and finding that peace within yourself but I do think that this lifestyle can be a catalyst to working on the part of you that maybe you didn't realize really needed attention and I guess I really needed to have my faith in humanity restored which it has been tenfold and I also needed to learn patience which I'm still learning and it's probably going to be a lifelong lesson. <laughs> Thanks so much to Jesse for her time and honest sharing for this episode. If you'd like to learn more about Jesse's travels, you can find her on Instagram by searching for a girl and her commander or visit her website, a girl We'll see you next week, but in the meantime, you can find us on social media. We're on Instagram at Women on the Road and on Facebook, including our Facebook group for community questions, stories, and support, which you can find by searching for Women on the Road podcast. Also, if you'd like to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You could even share this episode with a friend you think might like it. And if you're going to be in the southern Utah area in early October, October 4th through 6th is our Women on the Road camp out. Like I said, you can find more information and register for this weekend with a bunch of new friends by heading to womenontheroadpodcast.com slash campout. We're really looking forward to seeing you there. It's coming up so fast. Thanks again to our sponsors, Merrill and Deuter. Music is by Jason Shaw and Josh Woodward. Women on the Road is a production of Ravel Creative. Until next time, we'll see you out there. <laughs>